It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Hello, everyone out there in podcast world. Matt Hausman here, your host for the Smart Money Questions podcast. It's hard to believe that we are coming to the end of the year 2020. And I I think this kind of sums it up. I saw this guy the other day with a t-shirt on, and it it kind of looked like one of those reviews you would see on Amazon. And it said the year 2020, and underneath that it had like the five stars, and only half of one star was actually lit up. And underneath the review said, would not recommend. (laughs) I thought that was perfect. But I think we can all agree that, you know, the year 2020 has been memorable in all different ways. I I think some are good memories, some are uh, medium memories, maybe some bad memories. And, you know, one of the things I like to do with this podcast when I jump on a couple times a month is to use the situations that we are experiencing with clients and the questions that they are asking us, you know, the things that they're looking for us to give them guidance on and share those with you, hopefully to help stimulate your thought process and the questions you need to be asking to make the right decisions for you. The other thing is when we get, you know, listeners will email us different uh, scenarios, situations, questions that they want us to review with that. And the things I'm going to go over today are some of the conversations that we've had with clients and how 2020 has kind of changed their mindset and the direction they thought they were going to go maybe when they first engaged with us, which could have been one year ago, could have been five years ago. And all of a sudden, 2020 is making them think about things a little differently, maybe changing the, the course that they thought they wanted to do one to five, six, seven years ago. And all of a sudden now, hey, listen, can we make these adjustments? Can we make these changes? And I want to go over that today along with a couple questions that came in that also, I, th- these exact questions, these same scenarios are on people's mind and have been on our client's mind and how I address that. So before we do that, let's make sure we deal with a disclaimer. Please don't take any of the information or ideas or suggestions that I offer in today's show as direct advice for you. Please use it as information and education that you then can discuss with your advisor. Now, if you don't have an advisor or you would like for us to be your advisor, I'm more than happy to have that conversation with you. And it's real simple. All you have to do is go to www.speakwithmat.com. That's www.speakwithmat.com. And my online scheduler is right there. You can go right in. You can schedule a 15 or 30 minute phone conversation. And quite frankly, at the end of that first call, we're going to have a good idea. Does it make sense to have a second conversation? So again, very low key, go right into the online scheduler. You don't even have to get on the phone with anyone to schedule this. So again, speakwithmat.com, www.speakwithmat.com and schedule it there. So, all right, let's go ahead and get on to today's show. Okay. So let's actually talk about the first question that came in. Because this is a conversation that I have been having with clients over the course of the last six, seven, eight months. And specifically when we look at 2020, going all the way back to you know the beginning of, 
uh, COVID in you know late February and March, when all of a sudden now things were looking like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? And then where we are today, and then the things that have happened even over the course of the last month. And so this is a question that came in from Barrett, and it says, I'm worried about what 2021 will bring after how crazy 2020 was. Again, half star. (laughs) Is there a way I can stay out of the craziness of the market, the stock market, and still get prepared for retirement? I mean, let's be honest. That is something if we go back and we look at the end of March, early April, you know, the market is on a downward slide. And then how in the world, you know, where are we at now? And the conversation that I've had with people over that time period is, And actually, one of the things that we're constantly coaching on is when you're invested in the market, realize the market is always going to be crazy. It's always going to be volatile. And so while 2020 was crazy, and you know, I joke in more ways than 10, right? In a lot of different ways, what you want to be thinking about and the things that we talk about is making sure, you hear me talk about this all the time, making sure your money isn't all subject to market condition, then The next thing, so Barrett, one of the things I would tell you and the conversations that we've had with clients is how far are you from retirement? And if you're not going to invest in the market, I mean, we all know right now you can't just put money in cash and expect that to have any type of a growth factor, right? So where else are you going to invest it? Are you going to invest it in real estate? Are you going to invest it in alternatives, precious metals, gas and oil rights, unregistered investments like promissory notes or funding a business? You know, you, when you look, start looking at the other ways to invest to get growth in, on your money, earn something on your money, actually have your money work for you, all of a sudden you start seeing some of these other ideas are maybe a little bit more risky than even what the market is in. So again, let, let's talk, I'll, I'll bring one, because one of the things that 2020 has brought many of our clients to the point of, as I said earlier, taking a different path has been Hey Matt, can we sit back down? I think I want to I want to push my retirement date up, you know, one, two, three years. Is this doable? And so if you're looking at that, then all of a sudden now, possibly repositioning where our monies are can make a lot of sense because if we're not going to be working for another two or three years, can maybe contributing into our retirement plans, giving a little bit more time for our money to grow, having our social security grow. All of a sudden, we have to kind of scale back maybe some of those things, rerun our distribution plan. You know, now we don't have, let's say it was 36 months. Now we don't have three years of continual earnings where we're not having to pull off of our investments. So the reality, Barrett, what I would tell you, which is what I have told our clients, the market is always going to be crazy. And if we think back about the market, let's go back over the last 30, 40, 50 years, we can think about the craziness. You know, there, obviously there's been elections over the last 50 years. We can go back and we can think about the late 70s and the craziness that was going on there. Early 80s. What about the early 90s? You know, then all of a sudden we had, uh, we had the uh, dot-com bubble. We had 9-11 happen. We had the financial crisis happen in 08. And, you know, so those things are always going to happen. And you're going to see those fluctuations in the market. Now, for compliance, I have to say this, past results don't equal future results. But the reality is, is that the market has had a trajectory of up even with those volatile years. And so you want to buffer yourself or hedge yourself against when, those, when, the, when your monies or the market money is down. And that's why it's so important to make sure that you have money in other areas. So Barrett, I would tell you 
you know, staying out of the craziness of the market because of 2020 and being fearful of 2021. First of all, I would tell you never be fearful. I don't like to go in with that type of a mindset. So we want to make sure, but we do want to be cautiously optimistic on how we're positioning our money. And then if you're not going to invest in the market, really, where else are you going to invest it? I'm not saying there aren't other places to invest in. You know, as I've mentioned before, we have clients that, um, that have real estate holdings. We have clients that actually, you know, they have inherited some gas and oil rights. You know, we do have clients that have those type of things. But you really want to look at and understand if you're going to go in that direction, making sure you understand the risks that are even associated with those other type of alternative investments. So hopefully that helps you. You know, that is definitely something that we have been talking to clients about and we coach about all the time is understanding markets are going to be crazy. They're random and they're unpredictable. But that's why it's so important to make sure that one of the things is that you understand your risk tolerance or your loss tolerance, because we don't want to have our emotions overtake. You know, we always want to be Spock with our money. We want to be logical with our money. And part of that logic is understanding if we're going to invest in something, we understand the risk and we're comfortable with the risk. I always joke, it doesn't say reward tolerance. You know, no one cares when the market's like, you know, screaming upward. It's being prepared for when it goes in the opposite direction that we can not, quote, pull the trigger and go to cash and recognize losses. Many times we might not be able to get out of. So Barrett, hopefully that is, that's helpful to you. The next thing is a situation, you know, we do a lot of education on social security and had a couple clients uh, that this year, actually back in late summer, were, they were still planning on working, but due to the COVID situation and where they were working, they had taken a reduction in pay to be able to stay employed. And so they came to me and I said, they said, you know, we know that our intention was to work another two, three, four years and trigger Social Security at that point in time. But maybe now, because of the reduction in pay, we want to go ahead and start taking our Social Security now. And so one of the things that I discussed with them is you want to understand how Social Security works, is you want to make sure that, first of all, if you are still working and making a decent sum, is that you are past your full retirement age, so you do not come into what's known as the earnings restriction. And real quick, what that means is that before your full retirement age, so I'll use myself as an example, my full retirement age is 67, is if I am earning more than, say, $18,000 a year, they can withhold my benefit if I elect, when I'm 62, 63, 64, 65, 66, they can withhold my benefit because I'm earning too much. Now, the one thing to realize is it's only your earnings. It's only your W-2 income or income that is subject to self-employment tax. Doesn't count about pensions or distributions from IRAs or 401ks or investment earnings, real estate, you know, uh, rental income, what have you. It's only earnings. So in this case, they were all, they were over that age. So we didn't have to worry about the earnings and they could still collect Social Security without having their benefits reduced. Now, the other thing you want to realize, the second equation to that is understanding how much of the Social Security that you're going to be collecting now is actually going to end up in your pocket. Why? Because Social Security can become taxable income. So in these couple of situations, what I did is I did some uh, simple 
uh, tax calculations, adding in Social Security, if they decided to elect it now, uh, and what their income currently is from all sources, and said, you can see at the bottom here that this is by collecting Social Security, and I'm just going to use a number, let's say it's $30,000 and they're making 100 is that all 30000 isn't going to end up in your pocket because 85% of the 30 becomes taxable as part of your overall effective and uh, your effective tax rate along with the uh, moving you potentially into another tax bracket. So in one case, we looked at it and it made sense for them to go ahead and do it. And the other, they decided not to do it. But making sure you understand Social Security is a huge asset that you have and the timing of that and when you take it is extremely important. So you want to analyze it, not just the fact that, hey, listen, I need the extra money. Let's look at how it's going to fit into the overall picture. And also understand if you're delaying Social Security past your full retirement age, currently, whether you're paying into the system or not, you're going to get an 8% increase on your monthly payment, which is significant. I mean, where in the world can you get 8% guarantee? So many times when you know, we advise clients while they're working not to take Social Security because of that 8% growth rate, plus they're still playing in, plus they're going to have to pay tax on that. But in this case, in one of the cases, it, it made a lot of sense to go ahead and do that for not, not just for um, the future situation, but really important for the current situation that the client was in. So again, understanding how Social Security is going to play is extremely, extremely important. The other situation that happened in our office with some new clients is as we were going through the discovery and kind of co-designing phase of their planning is they were talking about uh, an early retirement, earlier than what they were initially thinking, but they still had a mortgage on their property. And obviously the rates right now are still ridiculously low. I mean, it's almost like cheap money. And their question was, should we, they, I'm sorry, they were only five years away from paying their mortgage off. So first of all, let's understand they're not getting any tax benefit from that because they're so far into the loan. Really, the only thing they're paying back right now is principal. So they're not getting any you know, mortgage tax deduction that they're able to take advantage of. So that tax planning opportunity is gone. But they said, do we really want to refinance right now to get a lower rate considering we're, we're looking to retire early and have a 15-year mortgage where we're going to possibly be paying on it until the age of 75, 76 years old. Does that make a lot of sense just to reduce the rate and reduce the payment? So here was a strategy that I laid out for them, and that is, well, how about instead of just refining to a 15-year traditional mortgage, so let's talk about a traditional mortgage. A traditional mortgage is a, what's called a closed-end loan. And what it is, is it's, you know, they, if it's 15 years and it's at 3% interest, they're going to give you an amortization schedule that's going to say, this is how much principal and this is how much interest you're going to pay over that time period. And here's your monthly payment. But if I want to pay it off early in different chunks, we want to recognize that as we're paying the loan down from a cash flow situation, it's not going to change our monthly payment. Let's say I borrowed 100 grand and my payment is $800 a month, just make this up, is that as I'm paying the $800 a month, let's say I get a bonus and it's five grand and I want to throw it against that mortgage and I do. So that does lower my balance and it does move me forward in the AM schedule, but it doesn't reduce my monthly cash flow obligation of $800. So my, my suggestion to them, my strategy was, how about we do this? How about we actually get a 
home equity line of credit and you take the home equity line of credit out on base, based on the value of your home, and usually the banks are going to go up to a, what's called a 50 or up to an 80% loan to value. So what does that mean? Well, let's say my, my home is worth $300,000. That means they're going to give me a home equity line of credit of 150000 up to 80% value would be uh, 240000 So that's the line of credit I have on the home, 150 to 240000 Now, please hear me. First of all, you do not have to use all of that. That's what's called your max credit line, the maximum amount you can actually pull out. So in this scenario, let's say that it was a $300,000 valued home. They got a $150,000 line of credit and they only owed $40,000 on that first mortgage. My strategy was let's take out that home equity line of credit. First of all, they're extremely cheap to get done. In this case, they didn't even pay closing costs. So basically it was free. You pay off that first on the $40,000. You keep making your budgeted payments, but now not only do you have more access to the equity in your home, should you want it, which by the way, can be a great tax strategy, especially if most of your money is in qualified retirement accounts. But the other thing is, is a home equity line of credit is what's called an open-ended mortgage, an open-ended line of credit. And what that means, it's going to calculate the interest differently. It's actually going to calculate the interest based on what they call the average daily balance, which is very similar to your credit card. But right now, unlike a credit card, the home equity line of credit is usually tied to an index, which is prime. And interest rates, not only are they extremely low right now, but they've been historically low for 20 years. And as you're making those budgeted payments, it's going to give you great flexibility as you're moving in, in this couple's case, as they're moving into early retirement to if in one month they still want to make that $800 payment, they can. But in the next month, our suggestion is to always look at a home equity line of credit with a minimum payment of interest only. And so then they only have to make the interest payment. Well, that might only be like 150 bucks. So it's going to free up, it's going to give more flexibility to the cash flow situation as they're coming into early retirement. Now, the other thing I spoke with this couple about was they had what I call some dead money sitting on the side. They had money sitting in a savings account that was literally earning 0.1%, a tenth of 1%. And I said, well, if your home equity line of credit is getting paid 3% or is, is charging you 3% and you're only getting a 0.1%, that means any money you have outstanding on the line of credit compared to money sitting in the bank, you're in a negative arbitrage situation. So why don't we do this? Let's go ahead, get the home equity line of credit. Let's pay off the first mortgage. Let's take the money from the savings account. And after the first month that the line is open, let's immediately pay down the balance on the line of credit. Now they have nothing on the line of credit. They have $150,000 available to them from their home. They still have money in savings, but the biggest thing to understand is with a home equity line of credit, should they need money, they can literally get money in one day. If I, so for instance, in our situation, you know, we bank with Wells Fargo, have a Wells Fargo line of credit, have a Wells Fargo checking account. I can move money out of the line of credit into the checking account same day. So you still have access to cash. And instead of money just sitting in a savings account, in this case, earning nothing, plus having a mortgage, then why not we go ahead and do the line of credit, get rid of that first mortgage, create a better loan instrument under the home equity line of credit that's really going to benefit them not only just immediately now, which makes this early retirement scenario more doable because of the flexibility that they have in, that, in the cash flow obligation of what was before the mortgage 
the traditional mortgage, or if they were looking to refi, using this other strategy is really going to help them out with their, with their cash flow moving forward. So again, looking at things a little bit differently than just jumping into the idea because interest rates are so low right now, and they really are, is that we don't just want to jump it back into a traditional mortgage, especially if we're only, this is our advice, you know, three, five, seven, eight years away from paying the thing off, especially if I was in a 30, is let's look at a different instrument that really can be more to our benefit. Um, and again, as I said, I won't go into it right now, but you can definitely use that home equity line of credit as a tax strategy over the course of multiple years. And um, it really can be beneficial. We've helped numerous clients that have implemented that strategy, you know, based on how we have designed their plan and being able to utilize that asset that many times, you know, a lot of times people call real estate a hard asset because you can't get access to the cash value there. And a home equity line of credit really can end up doing that for you. Okay, let's jump to the last one. This is actually a question that uh, came in from a listener, but also I've had a couple clients reach out to me over the course of the last year with this specific question. And the question is this, what's your opinion of flipping houses as an investment strategy? Now, full disclosure is I've done flips in the past, have clients that do and are involved in other areas of the real estate market. But with regards to an investment strategy, first of all, what my question to you would be, is this going to be your only investment strategy? So kind of like what we were talking about before, I don't want to be in the market. We're looking at alternative type investments. Is this all you're going to do? Secondly, I would ask, how much experience do you have in the real estate market itself? And have you educated yourself on all the different areas of understanding? First of all, how to purchase, if you're going to do flips, how to purchase a home, and then obviously how to sell a home and the different costs associated with that. The other thing I would tell you to do is look at how much capital is going to be needed to do these flips. And by capital, are you going to be buying the homes with cash? Are you going to be financing? What type of financing are you going to do? Are you going to do traditional type financing or hard money or both? Usually it's a combination plus your own cash. And when you're looking at doing a flip, usually what people are doing is they are buying a distressed property that's going to have to be rehabbed. And what, how are you going to make sure that when you're walking into a property that you're actually understanding the actual rehab that's going to be done, you're accurate in your uh, estimation of what those costs are going to be, and you're, you're buffering in the hidden cost, and you want to make sure you understand that. The other thing you really want to make sure of if you're going to look to do flips is when I go to buy a home and then I flip a home, what if I make if I actually make a gain, which obviously that's the goal, especially if it's an investment strategy, is what's going to be the tax consequence on my gain? And we want to make sure that we're factoring that in into our overall business model. The reality is if you're going to get into flips, uh, even if you just do, you know, let's say you do one every six months or one a year, you're really kind of it's not necessarily an investment strategy. You're kind of getting into more of a second business model or a second business, you know, a side hustle. And so understanding the taxes on the gains and especially the capital needed, construction costs, and how are you going to be financing this? And the hidden costs that are there are really important to understand going into it. I will tell you that the clients that we have that have been involved in the real estate flipping industry, most of them have been involved for 20 plus years. They will tell you, at least initially, 
you're going to get some bloody noses. And usually that means losses. And so you want to, you know, the first one that you hit isn't going to be a home run. Uh, or you at least want to factor that in. I can tell you in our experience, my experience with flipping homes is uh, we, I ended up working with a mortgage broker. So I had someone that could get our buyers financed. I worked with a very seasoned realtor that could get us access to um, different foreclosure lists, get us into those properties. He was also extremely helpful on helping us understand not only the the potential rehab costs, but also if there were certain code violations or codes that had been stepped up and we were going to have to bring everything up to code, the potential issues there. We also ended up working with multiple construction companies that we would, uh, we would ask for bids from. And then it is something that you, un- unless you're going to do the work yourself, unless, and then you also have to be able to, whether you're going to, uh, if you're going to hire someone, is you got to be on the job and you have to make sure that those things are going according to plan. You're sticking, you know, a lot of times in the flips, it's a time game as well. Because when money is out there, you want to be able to flip it as soon as possible, especially if it's hard money lending. And so putting all of that together is going to be extremely important for uh, the flipping business. So to go back to the original question, do I think it's a good investment strategy? I think it can be a very good side hustle. But you know, if you're looking at, and I've seen this happen, if you're looking to take money out of your 401k to go start a flipping business, you know, I would really caution you or make sure you are really doing your homework before jumping into that. I can speak personally, you know, on the, on the homes we flipped, every one of them, we did not make a profit. There were a couple that when we got into, we started, you know, doing the rehab work. In one case, we took it all the way down to the studs. You realize, man, there's a lot more problems in here. Next thing you know, the buffered amount for our uh, construction costs dramatically went over that. Next thing you know, we're selling the home for a loss. So really uh, look at it. Again, I think it's a side hustle. Uh, not that it can't be done. I know a lot of people that have done it and done it successfully. And quite frankly, back when we were doing it, we were able to overall do it successful. But as an investment strategy or pulling money out of the different investments you might already have, I would caution you in doing that. Because the one thing real estate can do is real estate can be capital intensive, whether you are in the flipping business or whether you are in the rental business. So but listen, everyone, that's all I have for today. I hope this has been valuable. If you have a question or scenario that you want us to deal with on the show, please just email us at info at smartmoneyquestions.com or you can go right to smartmoneyquestions.com, ask a question, and you can either uh, just type something in there or you can leave us a voicemail and we'll make sure to address it. Well, listen, everyone, I will be talking to you soon. Until the next time, everyone, take care. We'll see you soon.